Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Hello, future doctors. Glad you're here checking us out today for another episode. Today we wanted to talk about a topic that we get asked at almost every speaking event that we attend. Many high school and college students wonder if they could actually afford to become a doctor. The thought about how many years it takes to be a doctor and having to finance your way through loans can be such a scary thought. I know this indeed did cross my mind many, many times, even in medical school and beyond. Well, Today, we're going to tackle this topic and give you some ideas on how you can hopefully save some cash as you finance your way through college, medical school, and residency. Dr. Marina and I did not have a financial coach or a financial mentor along the way, so we probably got into more debt because we just didn't know. Perhaps some ideas that we share today can be helpful to you throughout your journey so that you don't make some of the mistakes we did. Now, I'm not saying that getting a medical degree is cheap. But if you can cut several spending dollars here and there, it adds up to a lot of money that can be saved in the long run. But first of all, I'd like to start out by sharing how I understood finances coming out of high school. Simply put, I thought money was meant to be used to survive, and if you had any extra money left, then that's where you can treat yourself, like to clothes, going out somewhere, or even spending it on family. My family lived paycheck to paycheck, so there was always only money to make ends meet. If you needed extra money for an unexpected expense, like say your car broke down or you needed something new for your car, then you borrowed money from someone else or you charged it on a credit card. There was no such thing as a savings account, investing money, or thinking about a retirement account or future savings. As a matter of fact, the mentality of my parents, and I would say probably still till today, is that you don't need to save up money for when you get old because your kids are supposed to financially support you in every sense of the way. So by the time I got to college, my understanding of money was that in life, you were always going to be in debt anyway, so enjoy life as you can in the moment. You know, needless to say, I grew up very financially illiterate. What about you, Dr. Marina? How did you view finances? And what was your concept of money in high school or at the start of college? Yeah, I think a lot like your family, most of my growing up years, my family lived paycheck to paycheck. And I remember there being a time where my dad was struggling um, with his work, he was working in real estate and not just not making any commissions. And I think my family had to declare bankruptcy because they had been just putting things on credit cards and credit cards and credit cards. And I remember around that time, my mom was so stressed. My dad, of course, I mean, he didn't show it in the same way, but there was a lot of stress around finances. And a lot of those years, like you, we lived paycheck to paycheck. And then after my parents declared bankruptcy, they had to really learn to be more responsible with credit cards. And around that time, my mom had started to go back to school to become a teacher. So that helped because she was working and my dad switched jobs. So yeah, I I totally understand this mentality of like money is just for survival. And when I was young, there was no education about retirement or savings or investments or anything like that. It wasn't really until I was maybe in high school once my uh, mom had been a teacher for a couple of years that she started to learn about retirement accounts. And I think that's maybe the only thing I kind of knew about. I also knew that there was such a thing as student loans because my mom had to take out student loans to go to school. That was the only way she could afford it. And once she started working, she mentioned, oh, I have to pay my, you know, now part of our month-to-month expenses is paying back my student loans. So I knew just that as a general concept, but I didn't totally understand interest on credit cards or types of savings accounts, types of retirement accounts, investments, any of that. So I went into college pretty financially illiterate as well. (laughs) I just knew (laughs) that I wanted a career where I could make enough money that I didn't have to worry about money in the same way that my parents did. And I mean, it was good that I loved science and I wanted a job where I could help people because medicine met those needs, but also would ensure that I would have a more financially comfortable future. Yes. I I think when I was in high school, exactly. I thought about, I have to do something I enjoy and like, 
but where I don't have to be so stressed out all the time, just like how I would see my parents. And it actually triggered, I forgot my parents also declared bankruptcy as well. So Mm -hmm. interesting point that you brought up. So my family went through the same thing. As you can see, we learned by trial and error, and a lot of it just comes from what you see growing up. So today we're going to share some pointers with you all. Before sharing our pointers, let's start out by explaining what different types of financial options you may have available when you apply to college. So we'll start out with free money or money you do not need to pay back. So most of you guys know about scholarships. Generally, with these, there's an application process. Many exist depending on the purpose of the scholarship. And sometimes university will automatically give it to you depending on your college application because you meet certain criteria. So for example, if it's needs-based, academics or sports, you don't necessarily have to apply for it. The colleges will just offer it to you when they're reviewing your application. Then there's grants. This is awarded when you apply through FAFSA and it's financial need based on your parents' income taxes. Basically, this is just gifted free money to you by the government. Then there's monetary gifts that sometimes family, the community, or friends can give you. And then there's work study. This program is designed to help college students find part-time work and offset education expenses. The FAFSA application determines whether you qualify for this or not. Funding uh, mainly comes from the government to the college, and then you get paid for the hours worked. Usually, it's an on-campus job that is very flexible to help you to be able to academically succeed as well. While this is not technically free money because you do have to work for it, it is money that you don't need to pay back. Uh, Dr. Zulm, I'm curious, what kind of jobs did you do during college through the federal work-study program? Yeah, so I worked, I want to say, about 10 hours a week at an elementary school that was close to UC Riverside, which is where I went to undergrad. And I did tutoring to kids who they were still learning how to speak English. So I would sit down with them and teach them reading, math skills as they're learning the English language. So these were kids that were a little bit behind and helping them. Nice. Did you do work study as well? I did for, I think, two or three years. Um, There was one year where I had to just take out a few more loans because I knew I needed to up my grades. Mm -hmm. And I knew that work was a little bit of a distraction. So I did But for most of my years of college, I did, I think my first year, I just happened to find a job in a, it was in an office of one of the psychologists that taught a lot of psychology classes. He was pretty famous for some of the studies he had done. And I basically worked with his secretary. So just like, you know, making copies of exams for upcoming, um, you know, exams in class or like doing administrative assistant type of stuff. That was my first year. Um, And it was cool because I got to get to know this guy who had done really cool research and was very well known in his field. Um, And then I took his class the next year because I found it interesting. And then my second year, I I wanted to get more on the pre-med track. So I ended up finding a lab who needed just a lab assistant in order to like clean all the lab equipment, like all the all the equipment, the glass equipment they used. And then also I would like prepare little auger plates for their um, research studies and do other random things in the lab. And it was cool because I got an introduction to what lab research looks like, even though I myself wasn't doing the experiments, the grad students in the lab and the researcher, main researcher in the lab, they kind of taught me a couple of things. And it was cool to get that exposure And I really wish I had had more of the initiative to tell her, it's like, oh, I I really want to get involved in your research. But at the time, I was struggling with my biology classes and chemistry classes. And I thought, I just can't put more time than I'm already putting into this. So maybe next year. And then I ended up finding a lab, another lab later that interested me more. But yeah, those were the main things that I did for federal work study. You know, you bring up a good point because this is, hours that you're working where you're making money so it's helping you financially but at the same time looking for opportunities that you know you're going to be able to put on your application when you apply to medical school yes that look positive so for example being a lab a lab support or just being involved in that 
the medical schools will consider that. They will look at that. Oh, this person was exposed to this. Or in my case, I was doing service type work where I'm helping yeah. others, helping kids or whatever it might be. So uh-huh. um, versus, although it's not bad, I had friends that did it, but some of the friends that did work study, like they worked in a library or in a cafeteria on campus or whatever it might have been, mm-hmm. you know, when you are considered doing work study, maybe looking for something that will will just add extra credit to your um, medical school application is good to consider. I completely agree. Yeah, use your time wisely. And that includes looking for opportunities that maybe serve your financial needs, but also um, expose you more to the field of medicine or get service hours for your application. So uh, in a nutshell, that's that's the free money that you can get, and you do not need to pay that back. So now let's talk about the dreaded having to pay money back, so school loans, okay? So again, this is money you do need to pay back. The tricky part here is that there's a, a different type of school loans. It's good to try to understand it in high school so you know what it all means when it comes to applying for college and even medical school. But before we talk about the different school loans, let's just get a basic understanding of what interest is. I think this is important because I really didn't understand what an interest rate was in high school and I think even in the beginning of college. So I'm going to try to break it down easy, just in basic so we can understand it. So interest is the money that companies charge to let you borrow money. So all of those credit card companies, school loan companies, car loan companies, and banks, they charge you a fee to let you borrow their money. They have to make some money somehow, right? So this is how they make their money. So let me talk um, our way through an example. So credit card companies can charge you up to 25% interest for letting them use their money. Let's say you have your very first credit card and you use $100 from the card to buy some clothes. Well, guess what? They're going to charge you 25% of $100 or $25 for letting you borrow $100. So your credit card balance will now be $125. So if you make a monthly payment of $25 every single month, you're never going to pay down your credit card because you're paying the interest only every single month. This is why knowing the interest rate for credit cards and everything else is very important. Well, for school-owned companies, they work similar but have significantly less interest rates. They can range anywhere from 3% to 8%. In other words, they charge you about 3 to $8 for every $100 you borrow. It doesn't sound as bad when you compare it to credit cards, right? However, when you think about how much that is in college terms, meaning you're borrowing thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars, 3 to 8% of hundreds of thousands of dollars is a lot of money. So hopefully now you have a pretty basic understanding of how interest rates work. Okay, so now let's get back to talking about the different types of school loans. So there's a type of school loan called subsidized school loan. These are loans for students with financial need. And this is determined by the cost of your attendance, so how much school is going to cost, minus what your family is expected to contribute, and other financial aid, like for example, if you're given grants or scholarships. So this one considers your parents' income. The key thing here with this loan is that subsidized loans do not accrue interest while you are in school or, or you're attending at least half time or during deferment periods. So that 3 to 8% I spoke to you about earlier that most school uh, loan companies charge, this is not going to be charged on your school loan while you are in school. This rate will start once you're finished. Then the other type of school loan is called unsubsidized school loans. These loans are not based on financial need. Eligibility is based on your cost of attendance minus other financial aid like grants and scholarships. The key thing with this loan for you to know is that unsubsidized loans, they do accrue interest while you are in school. You do have the option of not paying anything while you're in school because you can't afford it or you're deferring. However, the interest that you owe them, it keeps getting added to your principal balance of your loan. So for example, say you borrow $40,000 and your interest is 3% or about $3,200. Since you defer any payments because you are in school, you're now going to owe $43,200. Then the 3 to 8% interest rate will now increase because based on your new balance of $43,200, Because now the interest is based on this new balance of $43,200 and not that initial $40,000 you borrowed. So as you can see, it'll gradually increase with time and what you have to pay back over the years gets more and more and more. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to add in there, that's on a yearly basis. So every year that principal balance is going to go up by that 3% and 3% and 3%. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a monthly, but a yearly in this case. Yeah. Then there's other type, another type of loan called the PLUS loan. PLUS loans are federal loans that graduate or professional degree students or even the parents of undergrad students can use to help pay for educational expenses. These do tend to have higher interest rates than the subsidized and unsubsidized loans, but you can defer payments. But again, it's going to accrue interest on your principal balance. I remember that the PLUS loan was helpful for me because I think my parents were supposed to contribute a couple thousand. It was like maybe two or three thousand a year based on the financial aid office's calculations. That was their parent contribution. But realistically, my mom looked at that and she was like, I don't have that money. (laughs) I don't know where you're going to get it. Um, And I think she maybe gave me like a thousand of it, you know, a year. But the rest of it, I had to apply for these plus loans um, in order to help cover the expense that my parent, and I think there's like a specific kind of parent plus loan that they could take out or I could take it out. But that helped me to cover that amount that my parents were technically expected to pay, but in reality could not. Yes. So as you can see, there's several options. They are loans, but at least it's options for you to get through it. Yep. And then the lastly, there's private loans. These are not the good ones. (laughs) These are loans that are offered by public companies, and they usually have significantly higher interest rates, and it can be similar to credit card interest rates. These, you have to make payments right away. They don't allow deferment. If you do not pay them, then you go on to the collection agency. So this one will affect your credit score dramatically if you're not on top of it. And usually it's hard to make these payments on a monthly basis while you are in college. So I hope this breakdown gives you a bit of understanding of college financial options. I personally used all of the uh, all of the loans for the except of the parent plus loan. I unfortunately used credit cards more than I should have as well. I did work throughout undergrad, so that kind of helped me out a little bit, but still I made a lot of financial mistakes along the way. What about you, Dr. Marino? What did you use to get through college and medical school? For college, I was pretty lucky because my undergraduate university offered pretty generous financial aid. Um, Now, it didn't cover everything. This was like at the time, this was 20, almost 20 years ago, about 43 to $45,000 a year in educational costs. That included, of course, tuition and books and housing and meal plan and everything. But that's a lot of money. And I remember when I first looked at that after I got in, I had been excited. And then they sent me the financial aid package that showed all those numbers. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what my parents make per year. Yeah. (laughs) How in the world is that possible? But then they give you, of course, the breakdown of like how much will be covered by grants and by loans and all these other things. And it turned out to be pretty, pretty okay. I think I came out of college with sixteen to $20,000 in loans total for mm-hmm. the four years, which is actually not too bad considering how expensive that education had been. And I did qualify for things like the Pell Grant, which is that money that you don't have to pay back. I did the federal work study for 10 hours a week, like I mentioned. Um, And then I did take out a little bit extra than I would otherwise have to cover my parents' portion. When it comes to medical school, I did, you know, I had to just take out loans Mm -hmm. for the full amount, which was scary because we're talking about in total hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I ended up taking five years for medical school and then an extra year to do a master's program. So it might have been less if everything had gone smoothly in medical school. And if I hadn't done a master's degree, that would be less. But I had to just pay it all with loans. And honestly, in the middle of it, what I did was (laughs) I just read the minimum. I just got the minimum amount of information necessary, like the interest rates and like, you know, when I was expected to pay it back. And I just closed my eyes and signed on the dotted line. At least that's what it felt like. Because honestly, when you have no other option, you do what you have to do. And that was what I had to do. I had to take out these loans. Most of them, thankfully, uh, were those subsidized or unsubsidized. Maybe like half of them were subsidized and half were unsubsidized. 
but it really helped to even have like half of them subsidized so that some of that interest did not accrue while I was still getting my education and going through residency. But yeah, I, I mean, I took out a lot, of, a lot of loans and you do what you have to do. And I remember when I first started working and first started getting those like real doctor paychecks, mm-hmm. I was super happy. And then I looked at how much of it was going back <laughs> to my student loans. And I thought, oh my gosh, I should have done the math a little earlier just to plan, mm-hmm. plan better. But honestly, it's, I was still able to have a very comfortable living. Even though you think, oh my gosh, thousands of dollars a month are going into my student loan payment, still, you're going to be fine. You just, it does help to plan ahead a little bit so that you're not completely horrified when you have to start paying back. I think it's shocking too when um, probably you, you won't consider this number till you get to medical school, but when you actually look the projected how much you're going to owe once you're done. Yeah. And also depending where you live in the country, it's like, the cost of a home. Yeah. (laughs) I remember for me, that was like a shocker when I looked at, oh my God, how much I'm going to owe. Yeah. It's more than what my parents paid for their house, you know? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, my parents bought their home like over 20 years ago, but still the thought of like, oh my God, this is more than what their house, what they paid for, for a house. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But as you said, you know, you'll, you'll still live a comfortable life. But I think when you come from very, uh, coming back from a very low income background and you see how many commas or zeros there are. <laughs> it's yeah. just scary. It's just scary to look at it because you can't even imagine making more money than what you've seen your parents make. Definitely. So now that you have a baseline idea of financial options, now let's start out what you can actually do in high school and while you're in college. So while you are in high school, consider opening a savings account and set aside cannot touch money. Apply to as many scholarships as you can. All of you are fortunate that the internet now exists. So, and you guys are all computer savvy. So there's a ton, and I mean a ton of scholarships out there. Again, this is just free money that's out there. The effort that's involved is for you to research and then just apply. And even if you apply to ones as small as $500 to as high as thousands of dollars, every little bit helps. This is money that will not accrue interest. And again, it's free money. Just make sure you put this money into your savings account and do not use it on other things. Also, of note, there are also scholarships to pay for SATs as well. But I'm not sure how useful this is going to be nowadays because it looks like a lot of universities are no longer requiring it. But just as an FYI, in case you are in a a state or a city or a school that does require it. I personally applied to local scholarships while I was in high school. And I remember I got a couple of scholarships and they were in the low hundred. So I didn't get like a huge scholarship, but most of the scholarships I applied to were ones related to my ethnic background, being a first generation college student, and then a low income background. But there are many, many different types of scholarships. Dr. Marina, did you apply to any scholarships in high school? And if so, which ones? Yeah, I think, honestly, I only applied for maybe one or two and I did end up getting a small scholarship, maybe $500 from my local Rotary Club, which was actually helpful for for my first year of college where there are more of those startup expenses. I wish I had applied for more, but my senior year was so busy and stressful that at the time I felt like I didn't really have time to do all the work of like writing essays and filling out applications to apply for more scholarships. But if you are in a situation where your family really doesn't make a lot of money and you do need that financial help like we did, please consider this carefully. Start planning like the summer before your senior year of high school. Look up what's available and then make a plan. Maybe just apply for like one every month or something like that. And if you plan ahead and apply for at least a couple of them, you'll probably be grateful you did because it is free money and even small amounts help, like you said. Exactly. And then also when you're in high school, consider working part-time if you're able to. It really it will depend on your balance and the things you're involved. But if you're able to work part-time or find holiday or temporary jobs when you're on break from school, I would limit, and I usually tell this to most of even my my adolescent patients I see to not work more than 10 hours a week as a rule of thumb while you're in school. And the reason is you want to make sure that you have the energy to be able and the time to be able to maintain good grades. 
Now, when you're on school breaks, then you can consider increasing your hours just to make that extra money. But remember, save up your money. It's so easy to see that you just have more money and you want to spend it. But saving it is so important. Maybe like if you see your paycheck, take about 20%. Use that as your free spending money, but put the rest in your savings account as well. Definitely. And then if you turn 18 in high school, which most of you will, avoid getting credit cards. Once you turn 18, these credit card companies come after you and they're just trying to entice you. But again, this is all borrowed money and the interest rates from the credit cards are usually pretty high. So um, it's like basically you're negative all the time. So Mm -hmm. avoid getting them while you're in high school. I would say one thing to that, though. Um, once you're in college, I do encourage you to get one credit card. Yes. And I know some people think, oh, so they start to think credit cards are bad. Avoid, avoid, avoid. The only reason why it is good to have one or two credit cards is because it helps to establish your credit. Mm-hmm. Um, there are these bureaus that have like credit scores for each person in the this, in this country, in the world, whatever. And in order to establish, quote unquote, good credit, Meaning that like when you want to buy a house, Mm -hmm. you'll have a good credit score. When you want to buy a car, you'll have a good credit score and they'll trust you with loaning you money. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, you have to show that you have a history of borrowing small amounts of money and paying it back. So the only time you should really be using a credit card is when you are sure that you are going to be able to pay it back. Yes. So if you want to charge that, you know, that clothing purchase or the grocery store purchase to your credit card but you know you have the money to pay it back, then do that once you're over 18, once you're out of high school, like Dr. Zulma said. Yes. Because you'll start to develop a credit history, which will help you to get a good credit score if you need to borrow money in the future for big things like a car. Agreed. Yeah, so definitely not in high school. You want to wait till you're in Uh college. Agreed. And then the other thing, when you are in high school uh, and you get your your financial aid package, Compare the universities and financial packages that are offered to you. Since you're interested in going to medical school, the reality is which university you go to does have some weight to your medical school application. So don't necessarily just limit yourself to the cheapest package from the schools. You really got to look at the undergrad schools where most medical schools like to recruit students from. So that's also very important. Pick the school that will increase your chances of going to medical schools, but that also offers the best financial package. So again, you're thinking the one that probably you get more grants, more subsidized loads will probably be more beneficial. And then if you're lucky enough to get more than one good college to accept you, you can actually try calling the financial aid office and let them know, you know, I'm deciding between X, Y, and Z colleges and your deciding factor is really the financial support that each university can actually help you with. And sometimes if they really want you, they will offer extra scholarships, okay? Then these are undisclosed scholarships, and all of a sudden they have this extra money here. Again, this is just an idea. I wasn't in the position when I was in high school. I only got accepted to one university, and that was it. So I wasn't able to do this, but I know some students are fortunate enough to be accepted to more than one good university that is a competitive university to come from when you apply to medical school. So this would be an option for you for those students. Also, if you're in a position where you have to choose between colleges, you may also want to consider um, transportation options. Okay, so again, you have two very good colleges that accepted you, the financial packages are pretty equal, you know, maybe consider which one relies on you having a car, especially if you don't have one, which one has great public transportation. This decision will really depend on on whether though you really have a car or not. But even if you have a car and you're accepted to a school that has good public transportation, it might not even be worth it for you to take your car because just paying for gas and then um, paying for the insurance premiums on the car and then also just um, parking permits. Parking permits are so expensive for colleges as well. You have to pay like every quarter, every semester. And then other things that you want to consider when you're choosing is the cost of living in those areas. I mean, what are those local rents for? You know, maybe you're going to be in the dorm the first year and then afterwards you want to rent an apartment. Well, how much is it to co- how much is it to rent an apartment in that area? Mm-hmm. Again, this is really going to depend on your options you have of where you get accepted to. 
I only got accepted to once. I didn't even, I was like, this is it. I'm going there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Any other tips, Dr. Marina? Yeah. Well, just a story for me. Like I I remember there were two universities that I was torn between. One was on the East coast and one was in my home state of California, although California is big. So it was six hours away. And I really, really wanted hard me to go to the East coast school. It was Johns Hopkins university, which has a great reputation for like medicine in general. And since I knew I maybe wanted to be a doctor at that time, I was really tempted to go there. But honestly, that transportation issue really played a role in my decision because I thought it's going to cost $300, $400 for a plane ticket if I ever want to come home and visit. It's like I can't drive across the whole country. That's a five-day trip, right? Yeah. Um, so I, it really played a role. I had to seriously consider it. And in the end, that was one of the factors that influenced my decision to go to a California school instead of across the country. And my parents were really happy because yeah. honestly, I knew I knew I wasn't going to have the money to buy those plane tickets. And so it was going to fall on my parents. And I thought they don't have a ton of money either to pay for plane tickets. So I'm really glad that I made the decision to stay closer to home, even though it wasn't super close, because for holidays, lots of times I was able to catch a ride with someone else who lived in Southern California and was making the drive down from Northern California. Um, And I was able to just hitch a ride with them to come home for holidays. So that saved a lot of money. Yep. And I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that's also another Mm -hmm. something else where you would have to spend because you're going to come back home for holidays, breaks or whatever it might be. So Uh again, it all adds up. So every little bit counts when you're thinking about all these things of where to go to college is very important. Okay, now say now you're in college. So now how do we save money when you're in college? First of all, I would say when you do get to college, create a budget. How I wish I knew how important this was because I did not have a budget. Mm-hmm. So you want to really take time to sit down to see how much money you need to live and how much you need as free spending money and really living by it. Usually the first year of college is in a dorm, but still look at all the numbers that you'll be paying uh, for all the numbers of all the things that you'll be paying. So you want to consider rent, food, electricity, internet, uh, school supplies. If you have a car, then gas, your car insurance, your car payment, if you're going to be the one paying that. And then also, it is important, though, for you to set aside some free money to do things that are fun for you. So maybe just going out to the movies or eating out. But if you do end up having even after all of this extra money, just put it into your seven counts, even if it's like 50 bucks a month, even that will help in the long run. And then also, um, while you're in college, like we said, work, study, or part-time work, again, limit to no more than 10 to 12 hours a week, because we want to make sure that your grades in college do not suffer. These are the grades that are going to count for you to go to medical school. So you don't want to compromise this. And then if you do need a car for college um, and you don't have one already, never buy a new car. Just buy a used one that's decent, okay? Your monthly payments will be lower. Your insurance premiums will be lower. But again, if there is good public transportation, consider really using that instead because you just saved money for the reasons we spoke about earlier. Also, a big, uh, I think a big area when you're in college is the eating out. I think most college students, like especially freshman year, they call the freshman freshman 15 is where they all gain 15 pounds that first year. Uh-huh. But a lot of it, it has to do because you're eating out all the time. It's exciting. You meet new friends, but you can really cut money there. Um, so not saying never go out to eat, but just, you know, plan it out within your budget and then make meals and freezing them maybe on a weekly basis really saves you money and time. Or um, if you're lucky enough, have your mom or your dad cook it for you and then just a bunch of it and then freeze it. So you have it there to eat throughout the week. So just really setting this really helps with just cutting down costs on eating out because it does get pricey. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing while you're in college is, you know, if you're out of the dorms and you want to live in an apartment is living with roommates instead of living alone if possible. Because this will really cut down a lot of the living expenses because it's divided among all the roommates. And then some of you actually will consider wanting to live at home for this reason. But sometimes in certain situations, I worry about this with some students and um, even some of the patients that I, that I have with teenagers that are heading out to college. 
the thing is in certain situations, there's family dynamics and problems that can interfere with you being able to focus and really flourish in college. So I personally tell students, you know, I think it's better for you not to live at home. But again, everybody's situation is a bit different. Mm -hmm. Dr. Marina, what do you think about living at home during college? Yeah, it is a tricky situation. I don't think there's a right answer for everybody. You, first of all, have to do what you have to do and figure, you know, figuring that out is going to be unique to your situation. However, I agree that you should think about it really carefully before making that decision. So in my case, I had, you know, my family did not have a large home. We had a, a nice, comfortable home, but it was not a large house. And I still had four brothers living at home. So if I had gone to a local college and lived at home, it would have been really hard to find a quiet space to study. I think also when you're living at home, there are still those expectations, like your mom and dad expect you to help out with washing the dishes, with cleaning, with yard work, with whatever else there is, with maybe you have younger siblings, they might expect you to take care of the younger siblings. That's a big one for a lot of people that I've talked to, a lot of patients who are going off to college that I see. And also when you're at home, there's more financial pressure from your family. If your family is struggling with money, they might expect you to work and contribute to the family income because they say, well, you're living here, you're going to start paying rent. Basically, now you're over 18. So I think it depends on your family, your financial situation, your cultural expectations. Um, If there are younger children at home, um, also the family dynamics that you mentioned, sometimes there can be a toxic environment. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's some domestic violence. Maybe you're, you know, maybe your parents don't have it all together or you have like uncles and aunts living with you and they have a lot of drama or there are so many situations that can make it difficult if you're living at home for you to focus. Now, that being said, if you decide to live in an apartment or a dorm, with roommates, it can also be complicated because they have their own drama. (laughs) They have their own (laughs) loud music. They have their own issues. And so it really, you have to weigh the risks and benefits of each situation for yourself, but be realistic because if you have a home environment where you can't even like sit down for an hour to study because there are too many distractions, that is absolutely going to interfere with your ability to succeed in college. And do you want to pay all that money to go to college and then not be able to succeed? So think about it carefully before you make your decision. Yes. I think too, like one thing that I felt where there would be a lot of pressure for me if I stayed home was my parents expected me to do a lot for them. And I think like administrative duties of the household. So it's like making payments for them, going with them to the doctor visits, just doing any of their daily bank, you know, transactions. And all of Mm -hmm. that does take time that I thought there's no way I can handle that. And you know, as their child, you feel bad. Also, if you're put in that situation, you say no. So for me, it was easier to be removed from all that responsibility, Mm -hmm. where I can use the excuse, I'm just not home because I'm in college versus being at home and having to say no to them or feeling very stressed out and frustrated. Uh Uh-huh. And then also when you're in college, um, you want to still continue applying for scholarships. So you can keep doing this when you're in college. Don't stop looking. Again, there's always free money out there. And then after you look at your budget and um, you have extra money in your savings, I would then recommend, if you can, paying interest on some of those unsubsidized loans so your principal amount doesn't increase. I wouldn't use all of your savings money, however, because you want to keep cushion for emergency needs and for things you will need to pay for as a medical school application times arrives, like the MCAT, MCAT prep, or med school applications, interviews, travel, and all that stuff. Um, but do remember, there are also scholarships for MCAT so make sh- and MCAT prep courses, so make sure that you do look into those things when, when time comes around. And not everybody will have enough to just pay for um, the interest only for these unsubsidized. So so if you can and you're in that position, don't worry about it. Just don't. But if you happen to have extra money, then you can do that. And then lastly, avoid having too many credit cards. I think we talked about this earlier. I agree with Dr. Marina. When you do get to college, have maybe one or two credit cards and you can use these in case of an emergency or but most importantly it's for the building credit portion because it is important but really try to limit your use of them and then 
pay them back as well. Yeah. And if you do charge like your groceries, for example, to your credit card, but then you pay it off completely every month, that's a great way of establishing good credit, but not going over your budget. Just as long as you remember, oh, okay, I charged $50 to my credit card. I have to make sure I remember that I owe that back at the end of the month. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Marino, what was your financial experience like in college? I think I definitely got into some trouble with those credit cards, <laughs> especially my first my first year of college, maybe a little bit my second. Um, I thought I was being thrifty and pretty wise with my money because, you know, if you come from a family where you don't have a lot, like you're always yeah. like, looking for bargains and, you know, you're not used to spending money on expensive things. But I think uh, what made it hard was I was suddenly in an environment with people who had a lot more money than I did. Mm -hmm. And there was pressure to like go out to eat. And there was pressure to like have certain things um, like just maybe some nicer clothes or a nicer coat or stuff like that. So even though I wasn't out there, like I was not a shopaholic or anything, but those, you know, episodes of eating out and buying extra clothes. Um, I thought I was going to be able to pay it off, but every month my credit card bill was a little bit higher than what I could pay off. And after about a year, I owed over $1,000. And that was scary because it, it was like, oh, no, how am I going to pay this off? Where's this money going to come from? And I did eventually need to help uh, ask for help from my family. I'm like paying off just $1,000. And after that, I learned my lesson. And, <laughs> and I realized that I have to be really careful with those credit cards. I can't say that I've been always perfect with credit cards, but mm -hmm. I definitely learned a big lesson and that made me much more careful. Um, and, you know, it's hard because in college, especially if you're around people who come from um, families that make more money, it's really hard to say no when people are like, oh, let's go out to eat because it's such a social thing and you want to be part of that social environment. Yeah. Um, I also remember there was a every year there was a big football game and everybody wanted to go to this football game because it was between our school and the big rival school. And it was called the big game. And people would ask me like, oh, are you going? And I had to make up an excuse for why I wasn't going. The real reason was that I can't afford a $70 ticket. But that was too embarrassing to admit to people who they didn't even have a second thought about the cost because they had mommy or daddy's credit card yeah. <laughs> or, you know, they, they had a family money. And yeah, that can be hard a little bit emotionally and socially to be in that situation. But just know that you're not always going to be in that situation. You just have to hang in there for a couple of years. And it, like you said earlier, it doesn't mean that you can never go out to eat, just go out to eat like within your budget. If that's yeah. once a week, it's once a week and be happy with that, you know, be okay with it, accepting of it in the moment, because being miserable about it isn't gonna, <laughs> isn't gonna help anything. And with certain friends, you can maybe be honest about that. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I can only afford to go out once a week. Let's choose that day carefully so that we can all be happy. And honestly, maybe some of your friends are in the same situation and they were too embarrassed to speak up as well. So you can help each other out that way as well. Yeah, definitely. So now let's talk about once you get to medical school. So you've gone through the application. Yay, you made it. Well, when you get to medical school, you're going to continue living like you did in college. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so everything that Dr. Marina and I said earlier still applies. Now, the difference in medical school is that you're not allowed to work. And quite honestly, you can't. The demand is so great that if you worked, it would likely be a setup for failure. So yes, a lot of financing will come from loans here. Just be mentally prepared for this. As stated before, keep on applying for scholarships. You can continue to apply for scholarships during medical school as well. I got several scholarships in medical school because, in medical school because I took the time to apply which helped me a lot in the long run. And then also, if you have multiple medical schools accept you, call the financial aid office and also let them know your financial situation and that you're really looking for a program that will best meet your financial needs. And they might just offer again, just like undergrad, this extra undisclosed scholarship. The difference with medical school in comparison to picking which college you go to will be that it really doesn't matter which medical school you go to for a medical for the purpose of a medical degree. 
because all the medical schools will give you a medical degree to practice medicine anywhere in the country and be a physician. So if you're flexible and moving anywhere, which I feel most medical students are, then this time around, pick what is most financially beneficial to you if you're okay with that. Because remember, the outcome of any medical school is that medical school equals MD or DO regardless. So Dr. Marina, what was your financial life like in medical school? Um, my decision was complicated by the fact that I was married by that time. And so my husband and I were making the joint decision where to go. So it depended on where we both got in. And actually, we were very fortunate to have more than one option. But our number one school was uh, in San Diego because my husband was pursuing a PhD in marine biology. And San Diego, of course, is close to the ocean, has a great marine biology program, and they also have a medical school. Plus, San Diego was pretty close to my family, about an hour and a half away. So once we were like interviewing and everything, and we found out that we could potentially both get, we had potentially both gotten acceptances there. We did look at the numbers for sure. And one of the things that helped us to finalize that decision, it's not just that it's where we wanted to go, but we had to look at the money as well. Um, he qualified for a grant that would cover all of his educational expenses, plus give him a stipend. And so that was huge because that helped. I mean, it's not just my living expenses, but our living expenses. Mm -hmm. So that stipend that yearly stipend was really helpful to help cover like our rent and some of our food. And then on top of that, because it was a UC school, a state school, I qualified for the in-state tuition, which was really helpful compared to if I had gone to a private school or an out-of-state school, that tuition would have been much higher. So ultimately, we looked at all the numbers together and it was a school that we wanted to go to, plus the numbers worked out. So we were, we were lucky. And I was lucky to have my husband, too, helping out mm -hmm. with that financial situation. But that being said, because I took an extra year to complete medical school, which was unexpected, but, you know, sometimes unexpected things happen. And then later did a master's degree. Like, there, <laughs> it was still a lot of loans, a lot of loans. Yeah. And honestly, I think that if I had been more careful with my money, I could have taken out less loans. Mm -hmm. uh, there were definitely things that we spent money on that were not absolutely necessary, that were maybe a little frivolous. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, it's tough because in medical school, you feel so deprived. You feel like you're working so, so hard. You hardly ever get vacations. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you have a little extra money to spend on something, it's a little hard. Like we spent money on some scuba diving gear. And it was because my husband needed to do it. And I was like, well, I also like scuba diving. <laughs> okay, was that absolutely necessary? No. And maybe we could have saved some money if I had figured out another way to get a hold of that equipment. So yeah, I mean, we always look back and think maybe we could have made some slightly different decisions. <laughs> but sometimes we had to learn the hard way. So yeah. just be careful, make sure that you're thinking twice before you're spending money. And not just thinking of like, do I want it now? And is it on sale? But thinking, I'm going to have to pay this back potentially at like 150% of what I spent. So if it was only $100 now, when I paid this money back in several years, it might be 150 that I have to pay back. Yeah. Is that worth it? And if you think of it in that way, that can be helpful. That's an excellent way to look at it. I agree. It's finding that right balance because you need balance. Yeah. <laughs> also, because not just academically, but you also need to, you know, find that those areas in your life that you do enjoy, but really thinking about it, okay, would I be okay in the future, even though it costs me this now paying back more. So I think that's, yeah. a, that's a good point. Now, say you finish medical school, and then you start your residency. Okay, so this is the training where you're going to get specialized training, depending what field you go into. The difference in residency is that now you're actually going to be paid a salary. So um, you're not taking out loans. It's not much, but it helps sense me. You will no longer, again, like I said, apply for loans in this time in your life because you have this source of income. If you're thinking about working in a nonprofit organization or a federal, state, or local government medical organization, you can qualify for a program called Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. And this program will forgive all of the balance of your loans after you've made 120 payments or 10 years worth of monthly payments. 
and your monthly payment is calculated based on your income. So most residencies um, throughout the country will qualify as an employment for this program. Therefore, since you are not making much money in residency, your monthly payment could be very low or even potentially nothing, $0 a month. So so technically, you can do at least three of your 10 years of this program if if it's something that's going to suit you. And again, if you do a fellowship, which is you're getting specialized even more, or you have a longer residency that's up to five to six years, you can probably within those five to six years, just sign up for this program. And then you you finish more than 50% of what the program is. And then in residency, you'll also keep living the same way as you did in college and medical school, as we've shared earlier, and using extra money to pay interest of your loans if it's possible. And then the other thing that I've thought about, and I learned this through a, a, one, of a, one of the medical students that I went to school with in medical school, and he did this, is to, if your residency is in a low cost of living area, in other words, the rents and homes are cheap there, you can consider buying a small condo or a house with a physician mortgage loan as a resident. In certain areas of the country, the mortgage can sometimes be very affordable with a residency salary. The plus side to this is that since it's a property you own, you are gaining extra money because you're investing it Because usually most homes or values just go up with time. So for example, say you buy a condo that's $200,000, your monthly payments is $1,000 a month. And say you're doing a three-year residency, by the time you finish and perhaps plan to move again, your condo or your home could be now worth, say, $250,000. So you could have made a $50,000 profit while you were just living there. Now, you really want to consider this because it really depends on where you live. This will not work in a high cost of living area. So if you're thinking California, um, probably this is not going to work because here you're expecting to pay a rent with roommates, probably a thousand dollars a month. So it's just something to consider because I did have um, some medical school peers that did this who came from low income backgrounds, but went to residency programs in a very low cost of living areas. And they made some money once they were finished just because of living and not buying a home. Yeah, I've had some people that I know that did that too, but it tends to be in more like lower population density areas. So like a place like Iowa or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> parts of the country where you don't have big, huge metropolitan cities. Mm-hmm. Because if you're like in New York or Chicago or San Francisco or Los Angeles, like this is not going to be a viable option for no, you. Not at all. Um, but if you are in one of those rural areas, more rural areas or smaller cities in the United States, I've known people who did that. And mm-hmm. it's a little scary, though, because you have to ask yourself, do I actually want to be a homeowner? Most yeah. of the people I know who did that were like married or had a family. And so buying mm-hmm. an actual home was more beneficial for them. If you're single and you just want to really be focusing on your work and your residency and and preparing for your career as a doctor and maybe doing research, then maybe owning a home might not be right for you. Mm -hmm. Because what if your water pipe breaks? (laughs) What if Mm -hmm. there's an electrical problem? Do you want to be the one dealing with that problem? What Mm -hmm. if your roof is leaking? Like, so just, you know, it's, it's a interesting thing to think about and interesting to know that that's an option in the future, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely not right for everyone, but it is right for some people. Yeah. And then um, lastly, just remember, you always also have the option of deferring loan payments, even in residency, okay? So if your money or your situation gets really tight, you do have the option of deferring payments. Just know that the interest will be accruing at this time, though. So then finally, you're now done with residency, and now you become a real salaried working physician. So this is where you're making the money that, you know, the real money. So how much you make will really depend on your specialty. And this can range anywhere. And then depending on how many hours you work, but say 150,000 to say 500,000, it really just depends on your situation. Therefore, some medical specialties that make a lot more money will allow you to just pay your loans off faster because you have so much money. And then we talked about also the physician loan forgiveness program. Again, this program will forgive whatever, I mean, whatever amount you have left after you make 10 qualifying payments, if you work for a 
usually it's like a federally qualified health center or low or uh, organization that works with low income patients. Yeah, just to clarify yeah. it with that, it has to be 10 years of monthly payments. Yes. And then also usually you have to work full time during that time. Yes. I think there are some programs where like you can work part time, but then you have to make it 15 years or longer. Yeah. Um, so if you're not working full time, that can be tricky. If you stop, like if you're a woman and you take time off work to have a family, then those months don't count. So yes. think about it carefully. But it is a great option, if especially mm-hmm. if you have a lot of debt. Yes. And and um, yeah, that's you do have to be full time and they they count full time 30 hours or more. So you have to at mm-hmm. least be working 30 hours. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's also state loan forgiveness program. So every state will likely have their own program for physicians, um, depending where you work, and they'll provide money to help you pay for loans. In California, we have one where if you work up, I believe it's like five years in a nonprofit, you can get um, your loans paid up to $300,000. And then there's another one in California as well that they'll give you $50,000 or more um, for two years of work and qualified employment as well. And I'm sure every state has their own program. So it's something that you can look into, even though you're a full salaried physician, these are still ways to help you pay off your debt. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the National Health Service Corps. Um, they, they, you can apply to that program. And again, up to $50,000 for every two years worked or $75,000 for every three years if you work in a qualified employer. Or I've had also some friends that did this from medical school, they joined the service. So they joined the health profession scholarship program before starting medical school, and then the military covered all of their tuition and their educational expenses. But in exchange, you have to give them four years of active duty as well. But you know, some some medical students do this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then lastly, remember that you will be a high income earner. I think this is the hardest one to imagine when you're in high school and college, (laughs) and going through those rough times that you'll be able to financially manage pay- making these payments for these school loans as well. So you will be fine in the long run. But again, all these things we talk about is just saving some money here and there because it really, in the long run, will save you thousands of dollars. Anything else, Dr. Marina? Uh, yeah, just one thing. I would say, so if you really want to be a doctor, if your heart is in it, if you've shadowed doctors by the time that you apply to medical school and you know that this is what you want to do, then don't worry about the money too much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just be aware of it. Make smart choices, but don't worry too much about your ability to pay it back because you'll find a way. But the one, (laughs) one thing I want to qualify that with is make sure that you know you actually want to be a physician. Yes. Because the only people that run into problems paying their student loans back is if you go through medical school, you go through all the training, and then you realize, oh, I actually don't like being a physician that much. That's when you can run into problems because then all of a sudden, either you have to just suck it up and do a job that you don't enjoy as long as it takes you to pay back your loans, or if you end up switching careers to something else, your ability to pay back the loans might be compromised. You might not be able to make as much money as you would have as a physician. So it doesn't happen very often, Mm -hmm. but I have had colleagues who a couple of years into their career, sometimes three years, sometimes 10 years, sometimes 20 years, realize that, you know what, I don't like this career as much as I wish I did. (laughs) And being a physician is hard. I mean, it's long hours in education and training out in the workforce. Uh, You do have options to work part-time in most fields, but it's hard in some fields, depending on your specialty, to work part-time. So just make sure that your heart is really in it. Make sure that you spend time shadowing physicians and understand what it's really like to be a doctor, (laughs) because sometimes we have these like television romantic ideas about like, I'm just going to be out saving lives every day and, you know, these like heroic things. But a lot of medicine is not like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of computer work. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of other stuff that you have to deal with other than just those heroic moments of saving lives. So make sure you know you're going into it for the right reasons. And if you are, then don't worry too much. You will Mm -hmm. be able to pay it back if, if you get through it. That's such a great point. Because even I, we did have medical students in our medical school, 
that did drop out, mm-hmm. you know, um, because they realized in medical school, wait a minute, I don't know if I really wanted to do this. And sometimes it could be just like you said, that I that that really like beautiful idea of, of what it's like to be a doctor, and then you're actually in it. And you're like, wait a minute, this actually might not be what I want to do, or they got pressured by family or their parents or whatever it might be. So I think more than anything, just like Dr. Marina said, be really sure until today, I can honestly say I, I can't consider another career. And I know that that's where I'm supposed to be. So even though I had all this debt, it still has been worth it for me. So just make sure you can feel that way, because it, it will be a lot of debt. And if I wanted to change my career, it'd be really hard. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing and the specialty that I went into. So I hope you all learned some things today. I especially hope that you can see the possibility of being able to afford to become a doctor. Most doctors had to get loans along the way. Getting loans and getting into debt is just part of the process. However, please know you can afford to be a doctor with the financial resources that are available in college and medical school. And you can even get loan repayment at the end of the journey as well. And remember, you will be a high-income earner, so you will be able to make those payments and pay them back. Thanks again for checking us out, and we look forward to you joining us on our next episode. Peace and love.